Welcome to Intimate Interactions, where we discuss ways we share intimacy with our fellow humans. Sex, kink, non-monogamy, love, relationships, gangbangs, no intimacy topic is too taboo. Let's talk! Huge thanks to my outstanding Patreon supporters for making this possible. If you want the ad-free version, go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon to unlock premium content, including every episode of the back catalog, as well as a weekly podcast moving forward. Don't forget that you can also go to intimatepodcast.com, check out how to add the podcast there to your various devices, and you can click become a patron. Thanks so much for your support. It is greatly appreciated. Non-monogamy doesn't have to be a complicated, overwhelming experience. Emma, a woman in a monogamous partnership, is currently in discussions surrounding opening up her relationship. Today we'll talk about why Emma wants to practice non-monogamy, what she's interested in practicing, and the preparation or pre-work she's been doing to try to make the transition as easy as possible for herself and her partner. The session went really well, and it also went really long, so I decided to split it into two sessions that are one hour each instead. I had to edit this episode as I accidentally used her real name once, as we've known each other for quite a while. We talk about Emma's primary partner, T, and her emerging queerness and kinkiness and how that intersects with monogamy, as well as her desire to explore her sexuality in its fullness. Welcome, Emma, to Intimate Interactions. All right, so yeah, now with this microphone directly in your face. Yes, I'm just going to keep it supernatural. Yes. Um, but not supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> I like what you did there. Thank you. It was not related to anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was kind of related to the show. Oh, that's right. There is a show called Supernatural. <laughs> I totally thought that's what you I were I saw three seasons of it, but I wasn't even thinking of that. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's amazing. Was, it's like Halloween coming up, so I was just thinking of like werewolves. <laughs> got you, got yeah. you, and you're like Supernatural. and Yeah, plus I mean, everybody's always thinking of werewolves a little bit, so. Yes, yeah. I suppose that's true for some <laughs> folks. <laughs> thought it was universal. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe it is universal. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I guess I occasionally think of werewolves. I mean, just when it's like, if you see a dog... Like. <laughs> you think of werewolves when you see a dog. Well, it's more interesting than a dog. So That's I mean, true. It yeah. is more interesting than a dog. Although I do really like dogs as they are in their non-wear state. But what about like a Pomeranian werewolf? That would be adorable. Would it be really small though? I mean, maybe it would be like Wolverine sized. That'd be pretty cute. It wouldn't be that threatening, <laughs> I don't think. I think if a Pomeranian werewolf jumped on you, you'd probably be pretty threatened. That's true. And those dogs tend to be... No, that's... That's a generalization. I was going to say they tend to be worse trained, but oh, I'm thinking of when people buy them because they're I was just going to say, that's a generalization know. of owners, not of dogs. Yeah, exactly. And I realize that's also unfair to Pomeranian I'm not owners. Sure if that's like, I'm not sure if that's better or worse. But it's... <laughs> I was just reflecting on the Pomeranians I've met in my life. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Have not been super. I wonder what Pomeranian names would be if they were humans. Pomeranian names? Yeah, like if, if a Pomeranian had it, like, you know, if they had names that were human names instead of oh, dog okay, names. Oh, like so of, or Yeah, whatever. instead of being like Waffles, maybe a Pomeranian <laughs> would be named like... Or maybe people like should Edgar just the be Pomeranian. named Waffles. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually not against that. <laughs> Hashtag 2019 pet names for people. <laughs> I like it. Pet yeah. names for people. <laughs> yeah. And with that, we should probably intro the episode and yes. go to <laughs> another session of Intimate Interactions. So my guest today is... Oh, have you decided on a name that you're using? Oh, um, yeah. I was going to go with Emma. Emma? Yeah. Well, that is one I'm just going to have to... I'm going to have to cross out your real name sure. on the sheet and write in Emma and then... Yeah, I decided that on the on the bike ride over because I realized I hadn't decided on anything either. 
And is it okay if I clarify that by bike you mean motorbike? I mean, I just did. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah sure. Sorry. As I motorcycled over, I always Motors. say. I always say biked yeah. as well, and then people think that I like cycled, and I'm like, they're yes. not the same thing. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't cycle the. Uh, <laughs> I would have been a two hour cycle, I think. I'm not that dedicated it would, it to It would have been a long time, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. Emma, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience in non-monogamy, which is the topic we'll be talking about today? Sure. Um, I, I can start by... I know that you, you tend to... Um, I love your shirt. Oh, thank you. It's um, an adorable my, my, cat. my buff cat shirt from a... Uh, it was a podcast called Fantasy Fiction. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I can start by saying that I identify as a cis-ish female um, in what has for the last many years, been a uh, monogamous relationship. But over the past few months, uh, my partner and I, um, my cis male partner, to clarify, uh, have been discussing opening up that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of hesitated to say like what my, my experience was so far because I, in one way, don't really have any experience yet with a, <clears throat> an ongoing open relationship. But on the other hand, I think that the work that we've been doing leading up to that mm-hmm. opening up is also worth talking about. Absolutely. And I think all experience levels are valuable because mm-hmm. they're all just data points on that journey. Mm-hmm. On the graph of life. Yeah, on the graph, yeah. graph of life, yes. <laughs> and, and I think there are people that would get a lot of real value out of understanding more of how do people start this journey? Like, where where does yeah. that desire come from? What were your motivations? Like, all mm-hmm. those pretty interesting questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I could actually, um, I could talk about the answers to those questions as well. Um, yes, you could talk about good. the answers. I mean, we could, could just talk about the questions. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, <laughs> I think it'd be I'm, less interesting to the it. audience. Uh, no, but I think like, that's a good, a good lead in to kind of get yeah. going. It's like, why did we decide to do this? Right. Um, and it actually evolved out of, I guess, when we first had our first conversation that led ultimately to, hey, we're going to make some dating profiles um, mm-hmm. months ago. It started as, would it be fun to bring a third into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there it gets not, not complicated per se, but the way that we were going to go about it, I, I didn't want to just kind of, I mean, if people have any experience in, you know, knowing the term unicorn, you know why it's yeah. called a unicorn. Um, but at the same time, I also wasn't super interested in going out and finding a, a woman. Cause it would be not necessarily a cis woman, but somebody, um, female identifying to bring in that that actually um, I mean it simultaneously doesn't shock me and it kind of shocks me be, not not because of anything I know about you but just because <laughs> I always find it interesting that the assumption is mm-hmm. that it's gonna a third is gonna be a woman because when mm-hmm. I first came into non-monogamy I was the unicorn oh cool yeah, yeah. and it was a great experience yeah. I, I thought it'd be a lot of fun and honestly I didn't really have sex I mean, it's it's hard to define what sex is, but I didn't really mm-hmm. have sex with the male identifying partner in that relationship. Mm-hmm. It was more just that we were we had this awesome friendship and we yeah. co- we connected really well and we really cared about each other, but we didn't yeah. have like a strong sexual connection. Right. So mostly we just both had sex with his partner and his partner had sex with yeah. both of us. That, and sounds, was, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it, it was really awesome. Yeah. And, and I think, honestly, it's a gem that a lot of partnerships pass up mm-hmm. I, I, for a variety of reasons, probably gendered reasons. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, anyway, so I was just like, oh, also, that's an yeah, option. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in this case, because my, my partner um, just isn't um, isn't leaning in that direction. Like, he, sure. he defines himself as pretty pretty, pretty solidly straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also not interested in a second male identifying person Got in the you. bedroom. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, one sure. is plenty for me. 
but I have been interested <clears throat> in having more experiences with women. So oh, that's, that's where this started coming in. Um, so I've had kind of minimal, minimal experience. And I didn't want the bulk of that experience to be in that context of, mm-hmm. hello, new person. Mm-hmm. You're kind of in on our dynamic now. And this might be kind of awkward. And also I'm trying this out for the first time. And a lot of firsts all at once. There's, there's a lot of disposability, I think, that can go into that. Exactly. I, I didn't, at the end of the day, I mostly did not want somebody to come in feeling like an accessory to something mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of having that feeling myself. I don't want to do that to somebody else. And I feel like it would be even more difficult to find somebody who would want that feeling, even if I was interested in imposing it on somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so all said and done, we kind of shelved the idea of going out and finding a third. Um, but it ended up turning into a dialogue about how if I want to have experiences with women, because I identify as um, bisexual or pansexual or however you want to define it. Sure. Um, I mean, really, I think it's how you want to define it. Yeah, it's point. true, actually. <laughs> um, I, I kind of, I waffle between bi and pan. Uh, there there is some stigma, I think, in our community, at least around the term bisexual, because it might imply a gender binary, but a lot of bisexuals, of course, hold that it doesn't imply a gender I've heard binary. That. It, yeah. I mean, I'm I have I do my best to have no opinion, even though I'm opinionated about everything. Yeah, I, I read a really cool book a while ago, actually called um, Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Something called Along the Lines of Bisexual Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a political um, kind of activist look into bisexuality mm-hmm. and its roots and its impact and um, how it defines it and its stigma. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it said in the book is that. Another um, interpretation, I think many people interpret bisexual as, oh, I like men and I like women. Right. Um, but another definition they gave it, which mm-hmm. I really like, and which is mm-hmm. what makes me more likely to define myself as bisexual, mm-hmm. is I like people the same as me and I like people who are different from me. Mm-hmm. And that one I feel is much more in line with how I feel. Sure. Um, so yeah, I guess I'd say that, yeah, let's go with bisexual. Um, I'm trying to remember what the thread was. Right. We decided, um, or rather, my partner suggested to me, which um, made me feel really good because it felt really, it felt like it was coming from a real place of consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, he suggested to me that if I wanted to have more experiences with women, then a better way to do that than to embark on that finding a unicorn journey mm-hmm. might be for us to explore different relationships, to open up the relationship. Mm-hmm. And it was from that suggestion that our dialogue started. Awesome. Just like the, how do we, how do we do this? We want to do it right. We want to do it carefully. What sorts yeah. of things have you done to promote, quote unquote, doing it right, whatever that means? Yeah, and doing, I know, and that's kind of a loaded thing that, to say, doing okay. it right, yeah. That's okay, though. I, I understand what you mean by doing it carefully and doing it like safely and respectfully and all yeah. those sorts of things. I'm assuming yeah. that's what you meant by doing yeah, so, yeah, that. Yeah, that's a cool. better way of, of wording it. Awesome. Um, because we both wanted to be considerate of the other person yeah. and considerate of any other people that yeah. then got brought into this um mm-hmm. we wanted we both like to be very educated before doing something uh <laughs> neither of us are really the let's just do it kind of kind of person which knowing both I'm of you that makes yeah. that absolutely <laughs> makes perfect sense yeah we're the, we're the sit down and read about it and talk about it and then like dip mm-hmm. a toe in uh which is how we've approached this so in terms of lead up prep i guess you could call it mm-hmm. the first thing we did um actually i guess the the work on that started before we even had this conversation because we've both been in counseling mm-hmm. ongoing for mm-hmm. quite a while. Um, working on, I mean, working on our various, various stuff. things. Yeah, yeah. I'm just working on sure. stuff. Yeah. 
Uh, so we were already building the skills, I think, that we're using while we do this, um, especially uh, communication skills, mm-hmm. um, both with our with, with each other, like with our partner, and kind of learning to better understand ourselves, I guess, is the big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. In terms of, um, like, what do I want from this? Like, why do I want to do this? What is my motivation? How does that affect my partner? What can I ask them about what they want from this? Um, just kind of building those foundation blocks, I guess. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a little while into that, we both started reading um, The Ethical Slut. Okay. Which I'm sure you you know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know as well. Mm-hmm. I have um, it um, on my reading list. So, um, oh, okay. <laughs> as in, like, I've already read it, but I have a recommended, like, readings. Oh, yes. That's just, yeah. like, all of the various books mm-hmm. in and around non-monogamy and kink and mm-hmm. emotional intelligence and healing trauma and things like that. Right. And they're all just on intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Yeah. So. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, the ethical slut is there. Yeah, great. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, the point to ask me? <laughs> um, I mean, it was kind of our, it was our, our major leap. Like reading this book was kind of our major leap from like, how do we do this to, oh, there are ways People to do this. Who do this yeah. 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 Because mm-hmm. the, the last part of the book is essentially like how to start opening up a relationship. It was very practical. Right. Which I love. Uh, I love practical guides to difficult emotional things. <laughs> Yeah, there's also Tristan Tarmino's opening up, which she writes specifically for monogamous couples that are becoming non-monogamous. I'm going to... I guess you're, you're writing that down, so I don't have to. I'll get that from you. From yeah, afterwards. it'll yeah. be on the episode description Perfect. for your episode on the podcast. <laughs> so ideal. I can just check it. Um, yeah, and yeah. I mean, also, there's more than two. I'm a huge fan Yes, of, I've heard... I've had um, yeah. a few people now recommend that one to me. Uh, I'm going to read that after I finish reading some other stuff. Isn't that always the way? <laughs> yeah, it's true, actually. Yeah, the book is, pile is just growing beside my bed right now. So yeah. at some point, I will read some of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what I was saying as well. Um, yes, yeah, sorry. So we, we were reading the book, and it's a much more practical guide, and that mm-hmm. made us feel kind of more like, oh, hey, this is a thing we can actually do, right. even though we've never done it. that will have descriptions of how we can do this. Yes, yeah. Um, right. We have a lot of poly friends as well. Yeah. which have been an invaluable resource. And mm-hmm. they're cool with me asking a lot of annoying questions. <laughs> uh, and like, and on the one hand, I, I like being careful and cautious. On the other hand, it annoys me that I always feel this need to tie up all my loose ends before trying something. Because now I'm asking people questions like, hey, how do I set up a dating profile? What should I say in it? How do I be precise but not too precise? <laughs> how do I, like, all these things where I'm just going to have to do it. Right, and you're worrying that you're kind of hiding a little bit behind I don't have all the information to act yet. That's, ugh, yeah, that's accurate. Oh, I love how you're like, <laughs> I love how you're like relatable. Yeah, no, I never, I never thought of it exactly like that before but it's it's true i think that i use information gathering as a way to put off kind of taking the plunge it's something that i have done so <laughs> i identify with it because i've done it as well myself yeah uh, I'm, I'm actually um i'm actually part of a uh a group therapy thing right now for perfectionism amazing which ties right in i think this idea that i have to i have to get it all perfect before i start doing it but when you're right. dealing with there's no way to do that. I'm dealing with people. People mm-hmm. are messy. It's just going to have to happen. Yeah. Perfectionism's a hard one. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think especially when talking about things like non-monogamy and kink, mm-hmm. you're talking a lot about 
shifting power dynamics. Yes. And perfectionism has a lot to do with power, control, and trust. Yes, it does. Yeah, it is a it is very it is very much a control issue. It is very much a oh, it's it's very much about holding on to feelings of like absolute surety. Yeah. In the well, face of like impossible situations. If I may. Yes. My mm-hmm. personal experience with anxiety has mm-hmm. led me to some interesting conclusions about trusting myself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the need to be prepared for any eventuality comes from an inability to trust myself to be mm-hmm. able to handle things should they come up. That's an interesting interpretation. I like that. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. Later, yeah. I found that the more that I've been able to look at what would it look like if I could live my life with a sense of not confidence, because mm-hmm. I think that's almost the wrong word, but just almost, I don't think assurity is a word, <laughs> but with, with a sense that I can actually handle life. Mm, like without yeah. the fear that if something comes up, I won't be able to handle it. Yeah. Instead to kind of just accept that things happen to everyone in life and I don't need to be more prepared than anyone else. Oh, that's, that's where I get stuck. Is that yeah. like, and it just in Needing the thought process. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, even as you were saying that I can get as far as like things happen to everyone. And then part right. of my brain interjects like, except, but me. except me, when it happens to me, I have to be more prepared. I have right. to be ready for it. So it, obviously I'm still doing the work. Sure, in that sure. area. And it, it doesn't even matter like how absurd the task is. It might be like, mm-hmm. wow, someone did this thing that there's no way on earth I could have been prepared except this one extremely ludicrous scenario therefore I should pursue this ludicrous scenario and be that prepared yeah yeah but yeah for me I've traced a lot of my anxiety back to like trying to trust myself that like Mm -hmm. you know it's okay if that happens like it's okay if and and trying to get that place took me a while to get to and that's that's actually interesting you say that because that ties right back into the emotional work that I mean I'm sure my partner as well but at least I know that I'm doing is that idea of trusting that can't be prepared for everything and I hate even saying that because I want to be prepared for everything yeah I mean there's (laughs) definitely a love affair I have with organization and preparedness Mm -hmm. and I think that love affair happened because of how much anxiety I had as a child and how unstable my environment was Mm. so I think I started realizing that a lot of the anxiety would go away if I could just be prepared for everything yes but then that was an unrealistic and unsustainable shield and what it did was it amplified my anxiety when I wasn't prepared yeah that sounds familiar yep (laughs) so part of it is just at least for me my personal journey has been just accepting like things are going to happen and that's okay and Mm -hmm. I'm already prepared just in being myself and having the resources I know I have yeah yeah, I mean, it's you, hard. you said it right. <laughs> it's hard. It boils down to, I mean, like the the way the way you kind of overcome a lot of it, I think, is ultimately through acceptance, just in all of its forms. Like accepting yourself, accepting that things are going to come up, accepting that things might not go the way you want them to, but that that is okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a difficult area <laughs> for me right now with a lot of a lot of baggage in it. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent get it. Yeah. And it's not something that you're gonna fix in five minutes chatting no, with someone. No, it's not. No, but it's, it's at the same time I'm trying to I'm trying to work through some of it in in this kind of lead up to to being non non monogamous. Totally. 
just because, again, like, I don't, my, well, my fear that I've indicated to a lot of people, I don't want my unpreparedness to hurt somebody else. Because that would be imperfect. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be, I don't want to hurt anybody. I mean, No, that's true. I, then, I hear that. But a, a poly friend pointed out quite rightly that, you know, you, you can't, you can't embark on any kind of relationship and expect never to hurt anybody. Yeah. It's just part of relationships. We, we don't get to choose whether or not we get hurt. We only get to choose the people that hurt us. And ultimately, uh, yeah. <laughs> we just get to choose people that we love enough or that we care about enough mm-hmm. that we're willing to suffer for them. I mean, it's a very BDSM perspective, <laughs> but like... Yeah, but it's true, though. I mean, all you can do is... I mean, I think, like you said, no acceptance. All I'll have to do mm-hmm. is, at the end of the day, hey, did I do my best in this situation with the tools I had? If the mm-hmm. answer is yes, that's all I can... That's all That's all I've gotten. If, if doing my best still led to me getting hurt or somebody else getting hurt, sometimes people get hurt. And as long as it wasn't malicious, which yeah. knowing myself, I, I can't see myself suddenly being that kind of person... But yeah, I don't think you're, I, I mean, obviously you're the expert of you, but I don't think you have a malicious bone in your body. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's kind of what I'm struggling with in these opening stages is balancing my desire to be super, super ultra prepared with the idea that I also just want to start. Like, I just want to, just want to get in there. Honestly, I think it starts with really, at least for me, it started with really small wins. Mm-hmm. It was like, I couldn't get to a place. I'm sorry, I don't mean to belabor this. If this no, is no, boring no. for you, just let me know. That's fine. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Um, I I definitely started in a place where I was like, I can't get to a place where I feel okay struggling. Mm-hmm. And that for me was the first step. It was like, instead of getting to a place where I was okay being imperfect, I was mm-hmm. like, on my journey to doing all the things, mm-hmm. I struggle sometimes. Yeah. And that is okay. What I'm doing is really hard. Right. And just acknowledging the severity of the challenge yes, and yeah. that the struggle was okay was a huge first step to, and I still remind myself of that, mm-hmm. um, but it was a huge first step to becoming less married to needing to always be prepared. Yeah. And that, that makes sense as well, because one of the things that we've been talking about in the group I'm in is mm-hmm. the idea that, I, I, I think I actually, even at the same time as I had forgotten about it, I gave that advice to somebody else recently. <laughs> and then obviously... <laughs> just threw that part of my brain into a ditch somewhere with that idea that acceptance of the situation as it is, again, more acceptance is a big step into um, kind of creating a better situation for yourself because mm-hmm. you can't, you can't improve anything if you're busy beating yourself up about the things that you're currently doing. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't even serve perfectionism. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of useless all around to just be down on yourself really harshly about something that you've done that you wish you hadn't done. Yep. I mean, this, again, obviously very situationally, situationally dependent. I mean, that's I true. Think, but uh, at the same time, I think that's something a lot of people can relate to is like beating mm-hmm. yourself up about something that yeah. you wish you hadn't said. Or Yeah. Yeah. Steven Universe or, has a whole song about this. It's true. Yeah. I need to watch more Steven Universe and get my lessons there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's funny. I was, I watched that show and I'm like, if I had had this knowledge oh, at like God, right? eight or 10 yeah, years old. Like, the content that's out there right now. It's so much better. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Just the emotional intelligence that we've been tapping into in the last like mm-hmm. twenty years has so, been so so good. Well, like or all the conversations that they're having with I mean kids now about mm-hmm. like consent or like kind of communication totally. or conflict resolution. Like, Don't force your kids to hug you. That kind of stuff. Yeah, even just like this little. I mean, like it's not a little thing, but I mean, like you can not frame it as, but I mean. In hindsight, it is a fairly simple idea. Like, if your kid doesn't want to hug somebody, don't mm-hmm. make them hug them. But yeah. the fact that we're just now kind of perpetuating that message, <laughs> so I'm like, where was that? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. When people are like, I don't understand why all these 14-year-olds don't have a sense of bodily autonomy and, right? <laughs> and seem to be totally okay when people, you know, are pushing them or pushing their boundaries yeah. or taking advantage of them. They're like, oh. geez, well, we really need to protect our children. And it's like, 
we can do that like pr- pr- prophylactically. I don't think that's the right word. Preemptively. <laughs> prophylactically. Like, that's, prophylactically. A, that's a very different that's a, that's thing. That's yeah. a very different. That's very different. Um, pre- <laughs> preemptively. It was like the right right universe, but like well, yeah. wrong term. Yeah. Well, I mean, like if you're getting prophylactics involved, it would be very preemptive because then you wouldn't have kids to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> I protect my kids prophylactically in that I do not any. have kids. <laughs> that is solid. That is kind of that is kind of a pessimistic view of life, but I also like I heart that pessimism. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that Homer says? Um, Bart's in the middle of like ranting. He's like, and what's all this crap about tolerance? And Homer turns to him and goes, I find your ideas intriguing. I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. I, I forgot about that one. So good. Oh, there's a Simpsons quote for everything. There is, yeah. there is. Um, could you remind me of what <laughs> what thread oh, yes. I was on? Um, um, we were talking about perfectionism in the lead up to preparing for embarking into non-monogamy. Yes, that is correct. Um, I mean, it's really. I think that perfectionism is gonna is gonna affect every stage of stage of my preparation just inherently because mm-hmm. it's a part of me. Um, but I also feel. I mean, even if I, even as I say now that I'm struggling with it, I also feel good about the work that I'm doing in tandem with opening up the relationship. I'm, I'm really glad that I'm in therapy right now. The, the, the desire. I'm like opening I, up. I'm like, I'm listening to you talk and all I can hear is my own desire to perform <laughs> and the way that my desire to perform, even in healing from my desire to perform is just the strangest. It's the strangest, like ironic feeling. Yeah. It's like, I'm in counseling. Cool. I need to make progress. I need to do these things. I need yeah. to like, I need to be like numerically evaluated as a good person because I don't oh, have God, the yeah. personal sense of like, I love myself. That's that's very that's very true as well. Actually, like <laughs> recently, not recently, earlier in in this this recording, when you, you told me I was not a malicious person, I felt like oh, gratification. Yeah, yeah, it was very validating. <laughs> I could see the change in your body language, and I was like, <laughs> I I heart all those struggles. It, it actually brings up a good point about validation and communication because one of the things that my partner and I have gotten from the um the legwork i guess you could call it that we're that we're putting into this is we have learned to tell each other what kinds of validation we need mm-hmm. um and what kinds of i guess kind of emotional bolstering we mm-hmm. each need uh, and again those are skills that we're using now even though we haven't we haven't even set up dating profiles yet mm-hmm. but we are already using those skills i mean like i think the other day i i told i told him that you know hey it would be it would be really great for me to just hear you compliment my parents now and then because I get insecure. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice. I know that you feel that way, but it would be nice to have you vocalize that because that would be very validating for me. And I think that's an ask that I absolutely would not have felt okay making before doing this reading and like listening to communication podcasts and mm-hmm. talking to people about communication because there's this weird inherent idea, especially in typical that's a loaded word, especially in kind of, you know, the, the monogamy culture, kind of, mainstream, yeah. yeah, that your partner should just know. There's that kind of overarching idea that, that if they care, they will just know. And that's so damaging. Any t- it's so damaging. Anytime you place that if you loved me or if you care oh, before God, any yeah. sentence, it's so loaded because yeah. what you're trying to say is you aren't doing this thing I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm demanding you do. Yeah. And I am challenging that you love me at all yes. because you're not doing it. Yeah. Like, you're, that's you're, what you're, ra- you're rating like how much, how much yeah. love they have for you based on how many of your unspoken demands they're meeting, yeah. which Jesus, that and, never, and they aren't even requests. You can't call yeah. them requests if there's a negative penalty mm-hmm. associated. And if you begin a sentence with, if you loved me, yes. then yeah. you're really coercing or, or leveraging the relationship itself against mm-hmm. someone. 
you're turning the love and connection into a weapon. Yes. That like, I, I challenge that you even hold this connection with me because of your behavior. It's, it's highly manipulative in my opinion. It is. And it's, it's everywhere too. Like the idea of, the idea of this unspoken, I can't even call it communication. It's like telepathy that couples are expected Mm -hmm. to have. And I mean, you see it even in, I guess that, I, I think that you could actually argue that it's in that a whole um, gifts as an apology culture as well. Oh, interesting. Because I, I mean, there was a stupid sign I saw recently gifts for a um, a flower store, <clears throat> and the ad just said, "How mad is she?" And then with oh, three scaling sizes of bouquets. Goodness. And the implication being that instead of being talking about or yeah, being accountable or talking about the conflict, you give the person an item and that makes it okay it's kind of replacing communication with i guess it's like bribery essentially right in in saying i love you enough to spend 40 dollars on these flowers therefore clearly i'm not a total asshole yeah it's really really backwards as kind of Mm -hmm. replacing yeah replacing communication with yeah like like threats and bribes and kind of yeah i mean yeah and under it all is this idea that you have to spend money to show your love for somebody that's a whole big mess on its own it's it's the whole the whole gendered idea that women have to spend all their money looking better like looking prettier Mm -hmm. looking i don't want to say better but but it's it's the exchange of the exchange of physical beauty for monetary gain essentially like you know and and the the inherent goal that this is a thing that femininity demands of mm-hmm. humans that if you want to be femme you need to not just spend a little bit of money but whenever you have extra money it should all be funneled into this idea of being the femmest femme that ever femmed yeah which is, which is great because then you get to turn around and hear some guy tell you how he likes natural looks instead of people of with a lot of makeup and it's, it's so there's there's no winning it's so yeah. stacked against uh, everybody well and i from what i hear that's everything to do with being a woman is you know your butt is too small it's <laughs> too big your boobs are too small They're you're too not big. wrong yeah and, and it's <laughs> like everything has this duality to it where you're just fucked either way oh absolutely when it's designed that way they don't yeah. want anybody it's not a winnable system right. i mean if you developed a sense of self-esteem how would you how would this work how would how would you you make you buy everything and something i read recently um that i liked was um a person was saying that somebody had told them so it's like seven degrees of separation at this point a thing i read on the internet is an easier (laughs) way to say this okay that they whenever they had a negative thought they would then ask themselves who profits off of this feeling especially if it was a negative self-image i like it like oh if i'm if i feel bad about my hair right now who's profiting like if i feel bad about my body right now who who gets money from this (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah maybe it's maybelline (laughs) damn maybelline (laughs) but i like i like that idea of trying to try to chase a negative feeling back right, to, to who put it there who's yeah profiting. and even if the answer at the end of all that is like oh it's actually something i feel about myself for real then at right. least you know that you've kind of untangled that right and that's i mean another kind of to bring it back around to talking about um the, the non non-monogamy pre pre-work right something that um my partner and i are also doing is learning to ask each other and ourselves I think I think I said you know briefly before like what do I need, mm, um, mm-hmm. and also like what do I need versus what do I want, especially in, I guess you call it like negotiating, for just voicing desires. Yes, my advice yeah. is, it, and and I know it's it's unrequested in a lot of ways, but like <laughs> I just I love telling people to be as as greedy as they want yeah. in their ask mm-hmm. because you're not the person who says yes or no. Mm, that's true. That's very true. Just be so fucking greedy with your ask. Like, yeah. be 100% on the table. Here are all the impossible scenarios that I want. Yeah. 
and I don't expect you to deliver any of them to me. That's, that's a big part of it, too, is that not expecting to hear a yes, because I think that's, again, it's something that I, I have also been guilty of, especially in previous relationships, mm-hmm. is this idea that I am entitled to the things that I want mm-hmm. from my partner. Mm-hmm. Um, which goes both ways monogamous. again. I think yeah. Again, it's a very, a very kind of mainstream monogamous idea that mm-hmm. a that a want is if a want is not answered with a yes. Again, that means something about your relationship, and it's not a positive thing. The idea, like right. if I ask you for something, you say no. You don't love me as much as if you had said yes. Well, I mean, ultimately, it's, I mean that yeah. That's that's, yeah, that's just bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people are just not going to be comfortable doing certain things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. Leveraging that you your needs over your partner because you're monogamous, so you only have one person to meet these needs, yes. and you're being exclusive. Yeah. And if they're not making you happy, they're not fulfilling their duties as a partner. Yeah. Therefore, it says something shameful about them that mm-hmm. they have boundaries, that they don't want to meet these things. Yeah, this idea that if you, oh, if if you love me, you should overstep your own boundaries and be uncomfortable for right. me is so... And again, this is something that um, I'll talk a little bit later about how much this all plays into like my previous long-term right. relationship was just like, oh, I was just ripe with that kind of shit, with the idea of like everything that is or is not done is kind of raising or lowering the scale of how good our relationship is or oh, how much love is in our relationship. That's and like, heartbreaking. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was uh, my, my subtitle for, for this talk was actually how I managed to do everything wrong in my first long-term relationship <laughs> uh, because I basically did. <laughs> I love it. That's a fantastic <laughs> subtitle for most people's first cool. relationship. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially if that first relationship is straight out of university and then you marry the person. Uh, yeah, <laughs> everything possible wrong. <laughs> I, can, I mean, and and I don't even see it as wrong. Maybe you just chose things. You chose things very quickly that you were yeah, told I think that's, that that's you should more, have chosen. That's a more compassionate way to yeah to to phrase it. I mean, you know, thinking I'm thinking in terms of things that I would want for myself, and if I could go back and it's like, no, don't do it, stop it. Right. <laughs> as as opposed to if you were thinking of titling this and someone else had written this. You mm-hmm. might be like, yeah, you really kind of got suckered by all the messages yeah. society was sending you about you <laughs> oh, should get absolutely. married. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even even when, and this is, this is kind of tangential, even when my previous partner and I decided like to get married, it mm-hmm. was very much with that feeling of we have been together for X number of years. I guess oh. we really love each other. I guess now we get married. Yeah, and, like, and I guess maybe <laughs> we have kids. Oh, no, thank goodness. <laughs> no, no, that never played into it. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, I think it does. Oof. I think it does for some humans. Oh, absolutely. And then you end up in that situation with children. Not that that's a bad thing. Children, I think, are wonderful. They're just Oh, yeah. But nobody should ever feel like it's something they have to do. Absolutely. No, I mean, I wouldn't even... Ultimately, that isn't good for the kids either. Oh, no, definitely. I think that, no, it's that whole thing, you know, may may every child be wanted, that whole idea that people are making an informed decision, uh, which, again, is this whole other thing. Um, I constantly question whether any of the children in my family were wanted. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Eh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, parents, like, ah. parents make the statements they make. Um, my dad like openly said that my mother only tried to conceive me to extend their marriage, and I'm like, thanks, dad. Well, I'm could have kept that private. I'm, I'm, I guess, I guess I'm in a way I'm glad they felt they had to do that because that means I get to talk to you right Aww, now. <laughs> thank you. That's a very lovely <laughs> like, spin to put okay, on. Okay, yeah, okay. I was hoping it would come across that way, and yeah. not like I'm glad that you have this, this, <laughs> this huge idea. amount of baggage to carry around with you. But, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad you're here. However, it happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sentience and being at all self-aware is itself 
a wonderful, horrific <laughs> why? experience. Why was I programmed to feel pain? That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I love it. That's, that's so perfect. The house robot that runs yeah. down the street to get away from the fire. <laughs> or the, the butter robot in Rick and Morty. <laughs> also good. Yeah. <laughs> what is my purpose? purpose. You serve, serve butter. butter. Oh, oh God. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's after he delivers the, or it delivers the butter. Yeah. He asks, and they ask again, like, what, what is my purpose? What do I do purpose? now? Like, well, okay, now I've delivered forever. butter. And yeah. he's just like, oh, God. <laughs> so good oh, being alive is pain yeah <laughs> and also the way that um the doctor in i'm also i'm apologize to the audience who doesn't listen to Rick and Morty, but the way that the psychologist they go and talk to talks about how some people would rather die than go to work mm. i just think that's so interesting about working a nine to five and how the just the very prospect not even going to work being that bad but just mm-hmm. the very prospect of doing it every day for the rest of your life essentially that oh is that, overwhelming. that terrifies me the idea yeah. i mean on the one hand obviously it's it's not great that the economy has developed in such a way that nobody can depend on right. having a job for the rest of their life on right. the other hand the idea of waking up one day and looking into the future and be like, this is going to be my life for the next 35 years. And then I'm going to be a 65-year-old who retires and goes oh, like, what do I do with my life now? Obviously, you go to, you go to Florida and you play shuffleboard for the next, like, 48 years. <laughs> was it the Jerry Seinfeld says? My parents didn't want to move to Florida, but they turned 65 <laughs> and that's the law. <laughs> oh, I'd rather be out on the ice floe. Yeah. It's, there's just, there's such a, I mean, if you look at, like, no, compassionate communication, nonviolent communication by mm-hmm. Marshall Rosenberg, I'm going to start writing some of these. Yeah, things. yeah, absolutely. Um, he he talks a lot about human needs and mm-hmm. the sort of core needs that we have in families. And you might have like more nuanced needs than like seven or eight families of needs. I think it's seven. Mm-hmm. But the need for adventure mm-hmm. and novelty and just for change and, and this feeling of, I think, honestly, a need for learning. Mm-hmm. All of those things are really positive things. And we've kind of been trained to see them as destabilizing or bad or yeah. wh- why, do, why do we want to travel so much? We should settle down or we should do this or we should do that. Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to a lot of it comes down to the way that capitalism is set mm-hmm. up. And for that sure. kind of that idea that society on one level is designed to kind of just process people in such a way that then they can go work at their job and they can produce more money so right. they can spend more money and they, they process the goods and services and society processes them yeah basically yeah. it's a yeah. little kind of like that um, production line kind of thing where you just stamp out a person put them at a desk kind yeah. of thing but you know that person has access to drinking water that doesn't give them cholera and they have yeah. access to yeah. you know electricity and warmth and shelter so it's like for all the things that capitalism does really wrong <laughs> oh absolutely or like highly and, unethically and also also I'm realizing I'm coming from a, you know, a hugely privileged position and sure. being able to say like oh that life oh no no thank you right whereas a lot of people there's a lot like, backing that up that yeah. like I, I can afford to say, like, no, I, I don't want to go have a, a stable job right. in that way. Right. To a lot of people, nine to five working 40 hours a week is like, that's all you have to work. Yeah. Or, or even just like, oh, I wish I had that kind of dependability or, oh, I wish I could Absolutely. count on having that kind of paycheck. And I, I recognize that. And even in the same breath as I say that, I don't want it. Right. I, I don't want to be... Um, Trivializing how good it can be for some. Absolutely. Like, yeah. and I know for... Um, I, like, I know I even have friends right now who would who would love that kind of To have, like, stability. a 40-hour week. Yeah. Yeah, to just be able to like have the paycheck that a Definitely. 40-hour week yields. <laughs> and, and just consistently, to always know mm-hmm. you have, like to have that kind of security, even if you don't have complete job security, it's still a big deal yeah. mentally in terms of mental health, I mean, like... Oh, no, knowing where, like, I mean, I think it does come down to, like, fine, and that's why I keep on, like, ah, capitalism, is because it does come down to knowing that you'll have the money that that right. situation yields. And honestly, if we had a universal income Oh, my God. People, oh, don't get me started. Even I'm if so... It's, even if it's a bare yeah. minimum, like, I yes, know that I'll have, yeah. like, a bed in a shelter yeah. kind of deal. Nobody should have like, to... With I a mean, locker, like, I'll Nobody have... should have to worry about yeah. where they're going to sleep or what they're going to eat. 
Yeah. I mean, and yeah, so and, that, that's all I can get. That's a whole other discussion because I could sure. go on and on about that. For and I think there's still a lot of capitalist motivation to do better if you're, especially mm-hmm. if you're living in shared housing. Yeah. Or or even sharing a room. Like you, you have a bed, you mm-hmm. are safe, and you have the bare minimum. I think a lot of that's people. That's a huge, that's a huge minimum too. Like yeah. just the idea of having a bed and being safe at night. And I think folks that big. have really strong families don't understand what that is mm-hmm. like they don't understand the anxiety that i feel knowing that i if if i for some reason had like three really awful events happen to me any, yeah. any three events pick them where i was essentially disenfranchised so for example got evicted mm-hmm. um lost my job yeah like just a couple of events where i'm like oh i'm really fucked yeah where would i turn to for support I basically have some friends that i mm-hmm. can rely on for some time yeah but a lot of folks who come from a much stronger family value system mm-hmm. um, than my family had um, or has a really strong sense of family connection yeah. would be like, you know, if I really fell in hard times, I could go and move in with my brother or I yep. could go and move in with my dad or like I, I, they have like these systems where they're like, if worse comes to worse, I mm-hmm. know I have that bare minimum of life taken care of. Yep. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, one of the, I'm one of those privileged people. I know that it, awesome. I know that if something ever falls apart for me, um, like if, if I, if I'm not out. in any relationship and I, I don't have right. any money and right. I lose my place and everything, I can, I can just go move home. Like right. that's, that's always, it's, it's possible. It's yeah. It's, it's absolutely a possibility for me. And right. I, I'm trying to, I don't know. I, I try to have these conversations with that in mind, like just being aware yeah. of that privilege, even though I yeah. know that I, I can't know, I can't fully know anything other than my, my sure. personal situation, sure. but I'm trying to be aware at least that that is my situation and that yeah. is a position of privilege. And, and I mean, that's okay. I mean, there are always going to be people in positions of privilege. Mm-hmm. So like ultimately the way I look at it, as long as people are aware and, and they're being really cautious not to be like microaggressive. And I think you're really aware and cognizant of your privilege. Which I'm is trying, please, please let me know if during the conversation sure. I'm not being in some respect because I, that's just another area I can grow in and I would like to. Yeah. I mean, that's completely in line with my yeah. growth mindset Great. that is founded in my, like, perfectionism. So, like, I, <laughs> I want to be just, if I could just be the perfect person, that would be real good. Right. And just not have any of these rough edges that people could get hurt on or be, like, But, you know, you, you want a few for. because that's relatable. See, so you want just enough imperfection. That <laughs> just, Solid. Just, just enough imperfection that it had, actually rounds it out and you are better. <laughs> I, I had never thought of imperfection as being relatable with oh, folks like, totally, who don't like, have perfectionism. But totally you're right. perfect people are scary. I right, mean, they're, right. They're kind of like, it's like a diamond. Like they're they're beautiful, yeah. but you kind of want, you don't want to touch them because they're going to be cold and pointy. You don't want to stare <laughs> too long at the sun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Neat. <laughs> so there's 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 the uh, the upside of imperfection. Is it? Wow. Uh, it's that, what connects you to other people. So that might be that might be a little bit of almost like um, almost male privilege that I'm experiencing, where I'm so mm-hmm. used to people just saying be as much this as you can, as opposed to be as much <laughs> this as you can, but also not too much this. I guess that is a very that's a very gendered female message. And I didn't think about it. That idea that like oh you should be the best, but like also hold back because you don't want to scare anybody. Yeah, you don't want to intimidate men into thinking you're too powerful of a woman. Yeah, you don't want to be you want to be assertive but not bossy. You want to be oh, attractive God. but not too glamorous, but not like oh, too high maintenance. You don't want to be stuck term. up. Yeah, you want to be means. confident but not stuck up. You don't want to be a bitch. How like, often <laughs> do you think men receive the message they shouldn't be stuck up? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say never. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, men are kind of told not to be arrogant, but like, not really. They're just kind of like told to channel their arrogance in certain ways. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. 
That, it's that's, complicated. It's something I don't think it because I think obviously I don't have that sure. experience of. Um, so that's why when you said it, yeah. I was like, "Be perfect, but not too perfect." I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> that's even worse." <laughs> that is that is kind of like the ongoing message. For, and this is how um, intersections women, though, yeah. of shit yeah. that goes wrong for humans like gets exponentially worse. It's like mm-hmm. the intersection of being like a woman who struggles with with thing A and who struggles with thing B and who struggles with thing C. Yeah. Or being like a person of color who struggles with thing A and thing B. It like. That's oh yeah, I guess like we never we never clarified. I'm also white and I mean, identify sure. as white. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I also I don't have that additional intersectional struggle of, of yeah. being a person of color in a society that absolutely marginalizes people of color. It, it's right? okay. So long as when women of color are talking, you don't centralize yourself in the conversation, you're probably doing it right. Like, okay, good. Yeah. That's, that's, that's basically uh, all you have to do is yeah. not do anything egregious and just like help <sighs> lift up voices of like yeah, people yeah. who are more marginalized than yourself. And you're probably doing all the things. I, I, I won't say <laughs> perfect because I think that encourages the wrong thing. But say I will it, say, say it. <laughs> you're like, please say it. No, that's, I'm working on that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I could I could see the addict in your eyes when you were like say it. I can actually work that into um, when we when we talk about kink afterwards. I, I can definitely work that Amazing. in. Yeah, because boy does that I hundred percent agree that there is sweet sweet validation. Yes, sweet sweet yeah. validation. But I guess right now we're talking about non monogamy. Um, um, we've been talking about a lot of things. We've been talking and about a lot of things. Yeah, one hundred percent good with that. I cool. think all this information is valuable for non-monogamy, <laughs> and I have a lot of episodes already that talk about non-monogamy, and I like getting it from different perspectives. Okay, so good. Thank I, you very I don't much want for... to be. I mean, I love I love the discussion we're having. I don't mm-hmm. want to ramble past the point of coherence either. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, we can definitely like center ourselves a little and focus more on non-monogamy. I'm I'm down for that if you're sure, interested. Sure, well, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable with if we kind of bring it back in in that direction occasionally sure. and then let ourselves kind yeah. of tangent out and then bring it, it back and like... Just, Let's do it. Yeah, just lead the, lead the horse around is not an lead expression. Lead the horse yeah. around. <laughs> I hope it becomes one. Uh, actually, oh, to great. tangent again immediately, okay. um, my partner and I came up with the expression the other day um, to put your legs on, which means to leave. <laughs> So if you if you want somebody to get a, get away from you, you can say, well, why don't you go put your legs on? Or if you want to take off from the party, you say, I'm going to go put my legs on and just go. As opposed to the hurry up message of like, get on your horse. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't actually had anybody say that. It's been, it's been a long time since I heard someone say, get on your horse. Were they a cowboy? Cow person? Cow no, folk? they weren't cow folk or <laughs> no. cow pokes. No. They, were, um, they weren't even from Calgary. Oh, okay. <laughs> they just liked horses, I guess. Or <laughs> um, I, Yeah, I'm not even sure where they got it from. Yeah. Uh, but okay, they did uh, grow up in Ladner, so I'm like... Where's Ladner? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> oh, no. Do you not know either? Um, no, I do. Okay. Um, Ladner is just south of here, because we're in Richmond. Oh. So just south of... Oh, no. In my mind, Richmond's the end of it. It's right. Not, you're it like, the world I'm not going further, off. basically. I mean, might there's as well. the George Massey Tunnel, and it just disappears into the Pacific Ocean, right? <laughs> I went through the tunnel once by accident, because I got on the wrong train. Amazing. And, and you I'm came pretty up sure nothing Narnia. existed on the other side. Yeah, right. no. And my... then you just took a U-turn, and you got out of Narnia, and you came back through the tunnel We went through the tunnel. My and, and then it goes blank in my memory. And then I was coming back through the tunnel the other way and I was just home again and all that memory is missing. Amazing, yeah. amazing. It's a dead that zone. Sounds like a great movie that nobody would go see. It sounds like an X Files episode that's already been made. Yeah, it does sound exactly like that, which also was filmed in part in Ladner. Oh, interesting. So I know it's that it's actually yeah. incredibly hilarious that you say that because it has been done. They've yes. literally filmed in Ladner. Appropriately connected, yes. They did film I in love Vancouver. That we just said we're not going to tangent as much, and then we're talking about. And now we're talking X-Files. about how the X Files filmed in Ladner for a rural setting, even when they were filming in Vancouver. <laughs> if there was, if there was a farmhouse, ultimately, yeah. if there's a farmhouse. It's in Ladner. It's in Ladner. Yeah, I yeah. think that that's Ladner's like welcome to Ladner. If there's a farmhouse, it's in Ladner. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Welcome to Ladner. If you lived in a farmhouse, you'd be home now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, it's so gentrified though. It's gotten to the point where the home that my father bought for 80000 in the 80s and then sold for like 200 and something in the like knots is worth like 880000 now. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and it's like, it's like you're, you're literally in Ladner. How are houses like approaching a million dollars? Like... You're, oh, you're yeah. through affordability a tunnel, is often on you're my through mind, a tunnel yeah. and over two bridges to get downtown. And it's still it's still nearly a million. It's more than an hour in traffic to get oh, downtown. Wow. Yeah. It's, yeah, I don't that's brain just brain just cuts out when you start talking about numbers like that. Honestly, I think what people do is they go through the tunnel and they park at the park and ride and yeah. then ride the train. All I thought the you were gonna say and they just take the plane to get back to like the downtown airport. Oh my or god, whatever. could you imagine? <laughs> <It's> like, they, <laughs> just get on my jet and yeah. If only they had Wow, we've really digressed. We have, yeah. We have. Okay, do you want to bring it back? Let's bring let's, it back let's, around. Let's yeah. lead the horse back. Cool. Come on, come um, on back. So around. we were talking about non-monogamy, and I'm curious what sorts of like rules or principles or values um, you. <laughs> That's question you're, number two. <laughs> yes, we've gotten to question number two, and we are 46 minutes into the podcast. Oh no! It's usually about an hour long, so we're doing awesome. Great. I'm um, super... I will try and make this one concise then, because it is actually a concise answer. Because awesome. Like I have said previously, we haven't actually mm-hmm. started rolling this out in practice um, okay. up till now. Actually, it's very recent that we had our, our kind of pulling pulling the trigger um, talk with each other about actually sitting down and starting to make profiles and getting this right this horse riding. I don't know. <laughs> horse analogies. Um, but in terms of rules and principles, some of the things that we have... I mean, I guess the biggest thing that we've decided on your own together is that nothing we decide right now is set in stone because... Right. I mean, again, we're dealing with each other, we're dealing with people, we're dealing with emotions. Things are going to change, yeah. I firmly believe. There's going to be shifting power, there's going to be shifting feelings. Yep, there's going to be, I mean, even some of the things that we think we really want right now, maybe we won't want later, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the things that we've decided on for now, I guess I'll caveat, um, we want to be hierarchical, um, okay. at least in the beginning. Yep. Uh, because our main priority at this point is each other, because that's where we have put the bulk of our emotional investment and our you know, our time investment when it comes to it as well. We're four years um, mm-hmm. together at this point and have each other more like kind of selfishly, like most in interest. Um, and also we, we plan on being very clear with this about other people who we might start to bring into yeah. to things. Um, so that you said is one of our, our principles is um, prioritizing each other. Uh, another one is that we want to be very, we want to maintain a high level of clarity with each other and kind of a lot of transparency mm-hmm. as we, especially again, especially on these first steps. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think that we decided that we want to show our dating profiles to each other before posting them even. Not in kind of a, so that they can take things out or add things as they want, but just in the interest of keeping them in the loop and like, hey, here are the things that I want to say. Do you think that I've missed anything? Or how do you feel about this? Or... Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And vice versa, like, I'd be interested in seeing just the way he words things, like, not in the interest of making him add things or take things out or saying things, but just out of the curiosity of what does my partner's dating profile look like? Because that's a very new that experience in and of itself. super neat, yeah. Yeah, it's an experience that neither of us has ever had before. I think it's really cool as well because something that can happen in long-term partnerships is people forget to date. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the dating that brings so much joy in a relationship because it's where you might get needs for play met. Absolutely. Other amazing things. So it's mm-hmm. like getting back to a place where you're like, oh, 
they still want to go on dates. Yes. Maybe I can, we can go on dates together. And I think in some ways it takes long, long-term relationships and makes them new again. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that's something that we're finding, even though we haven't started dating other people yet, we're already kind of feeling that newness with each other again. Totally get which it. Which feels, oh, it's like, it's like having that, um, what's it? NRE, the new relationship, new relationship energy, energy. Just like, not in you know not as much as when there was genuine NRE, but it's kind of injecting a little bit yeah. of that playfulness and that newness back into it. Of, hey, we're experiencing things together for we're experiencing things together for the first time again, and it just feels cool. Like there's, it's neat to know that like four years in, we can still do this. Yeah, there's life and there's love mm-hmm. in finding new ways to reinvent your relationship. Absolutely, and like especially when it's going hand in hand with finding new and better ways to talk to each other and understand each other, it's mm-hmm. kind of like feels it feels a little bit like. Um, I guess a little, a little bit like leveling up, but in more of less of a kind of an extreme all in one way and more yeah. in a, this feels like, I feel like we're progressing together mm-hmm. and that's a really nice feeling. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not kind of like sitting in one place or like losing sight of each other's goals or, or needs or wants or anything. We're kind of redefining them and we're re-exploring them and it feels mm-hmm. really good. Mm-hmm. Um, as for another principle or value, um... So transparency, yeah. Um, oh, one thing we have decided together is we don't want to veto, um, and awesome. that's that's something that I've I've heard often in negative context is um, the idea of having veto power in a an open relationship. Mm-hmm. This idea that you can I'm I'm just kind of clarifying for anybody who might not know who's sure, listening. Please, please. Um, this idea that if somebody if your partner starts to see somebody or connect with somebody or date somebody, that you yourself can assess that other person and say no you need to stop shut it down uh and it's not i I, personally and i don't want to i don't want to judge anybody who's decided this is best for Mm -hmm. their relationship personally it feels like i don't i don't want that power and i don't need it because it feels like i would be i would be saying to my partner i know better than you what you want or need in a person or what makes you happy and also i have needs about your exclusivity. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. want to give up my ownership of your sex life yet. Yeah, yeah. It it does indicate a lot of, like, I want to have power over you. And I think for the third person, it can be a non-consensual power, especially Mm -hmm. if they aren't informed about it. That's that's a big thing, to start seeing somebody and then be informed that that connection could end any time it's yeah it's, for, through, due to a third party right. and you might not even get an explanation as to why things are getting yeah shut in down. fact you may not even get closure yeah um some people will say oh you know my my wife or my husband has veto powers mm-hmm. and a person may be like oh okay so then like our relationship might have to stop like our sexual relationship might yeah. have to stop but if they're not informed as to what those veto powers are how there's so used, so much can get lost between the cracks i think and, and that's, that's why we're avoiding cons- it entirely and that's not consensual people have yeah. to be informed to mm-hmm. give consent yeah so if a person yeah. is is seeing you and your partner has veto powers over them just make sure they're informed as to what those veto powers look like if they get used mm-hmm. just so that when you know your partner exercises veto powers in a way that you're sure your partner never will um, <laughs> and the day comes yep. where it might happen yep. and they say I veto this relationship. I want you to never speak to this person again. You Oof, don't yeah. have a highly traumatized person who feels yeah, like... Yeah, they've just been used and then chucked used out. Used and or, discarded yeah. and they don't get any closure and no one Oof, no yeah. one talks to them about it. There's nothing worse than loving someone and feeling like you can't oh, even God. talk to them. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are worse things, but... <laughs> in, in, this, in this context that we're speaking of right now... In this context, it's a pretty awful thing yeah, to yeah. visit upon someone. Absolutely. And I, I think that actually is part of the reason I don't want either of us to have that veto power is because mm-hmm. one of my... 
I think like my first concern is my partner. My second concern is not wanting to inflict any Harm. kind of any kind of malicious or even unintentional, but avoidable harm on somebody else well, that could, could have been avoided. You've also got your bases covered in that one of your, you're literally your first relationship value mm-hmm. is commitment to each other. Mm-hmm. If one of you feels strongly enough that you would have exercised veto power if you had it, I think it's much healthier to go about saying, I'm really upset about this relationship. Absolutely, yeah. Talk and about it. Ultimately, you can still talk about it. You mm-hmm. might still choose to end that relationship. Yep. In fact, if your first value is to each other mm-hmm. above all other partnerships, yep. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't end up doing that unless right. you really felt the need to stick it out for that relationship in which case mm-hmm. I would hope that your partner would see that absolutely yeah and that's what I think that we're going for as well is communication yeah. and understanding over kind of abruptness yeah, yeah. but that, that being said one of the other things that we have talked about um, and this is something actually that was suggested I'm, I'm not super sure how I feel about it yet but it was suggested by my partner's um, therapist who um, has a lot of experience in talking to couples who are either open or opening up uh, and she suggested that what we have in place isn't a veto, because I, when I think of a veto, I think of looking at a specific um, partner's partner and saying no. Um, what she suggested we have is the big red button, which means that we put the whole thing on hold. Um, and that's not so much related to a specific person so much as it is one person saying, okay, I think that everything is moving too fast in general, or I'm, I'm scared in general. Could we please put everybody else on hold. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how I feel I, about that. Me neither. Um, I don't, I'm yeah. not trying to be judgmental or no, negative. No, that's fine. I, I'm, I, I'm still thinking about, about it, it too. Um, mm-hmm. Currently, uh, currently I've agreed because I want, I want my partner to be comfortable. I want my, I want my partner to feel like going into this, there is that ability to kind of slow things down. I think it's good to have the ability to slow things down. Yeah. I think it's good to request that no new partnerships get made. Yeah. I think when things aren't stable in your, in your relationships, it's not always the best practice to add new relationships. Mm-hmm. It's worth working on the relationships you have or changing the relationships you have so yes. that they do feel like they're in a comfortable place before yeah. adding two new people. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that happens where people will get into like that new person frenzy of, oh my God, this lifestyle is amazing. <laughs> I'm getting all of my needs met. I want more, 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 more. Oh, and they end up who adding. Who the time? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, maybe they're recently unemployed. Yeah. And, you, you have know, to be. Uh, yeah. Just about. Um, but, you know, maybe they add like one or two new partners mm-hmm. in, in quick succession. Yeah. Um, immediately after, um, you, you know, whatever event. It's totally reasonable to say like, I don't think you should add any more new people. Yeah. Putting yeah. current partners on hold, I'm kind of on the fence with because me it's, too, very, it's... it's very veto-esque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of those are not given with an with a definite deadline. And I think yes. it's unkind yeah. to hold people in limbo without a specific time. So it even can be like, I we I want to put things on hold for just like a week just to make yeah. sure that I can properly give my time and emotional labor to extenuating circumstances. Yes. I yeah. don't think that's unreasonable. But okay. at the same time, I think you need to have that time limit of like, we may not be done in a week, but mm-hmm. I'm going to check in in a week and I'm going to get yeah. back to you and I'm going to let you know where we are. I like that a lot, actually. I'm going to I'm going to take this information. I'm going to bring it back into discussions with my partner because I like that idea of further defining what exactly that means. Yeah. I'm um, again, for the sake of other people who are not privy to all this information firsthand and I don't want them being kind of like, wait, what? What's happening? Okay, yeah. What is this? Like, yeah. And, and yeah, again, and just trying to be as upfront as you can with yes. partnerships. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so thank you thank you very much for that. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna use that information. I'm gonna scribble. Yeah, feel it free to write anything down. Down. Um red button. 
timeline. I'm just, I'll, I'll assume I know what that means later. There you, go. <laughs> you can always ask me as there well was, if you're like, what true. was that thing you were talking about? I, it's very hopefully true. I'll remember. I'm, yeah. I have a memory like a sieve, though. <laughs> Between the two of us, maybe somebody will remember. We might be able to cobble yeah. together. You know what else I'll we just can do? This up to later. I was going to say, there's also a podcast. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I can just, I'll, I'll make somebody else listen to it. Because the idea of sitting right. down and listening to my own voice for an hour and a half. Right, you'll be like, hey, partner, can you listen to this for Yeah, and then around the 50 minute mark, there's some information I think we could really use. Um, I think that actually, and and with that one, that I come kind of draws to a close the things that we have pre-decided going going into things um, in terms of like rules or, or principles and things like that. Awesome. Because because like a lot of it is TBD because we haven't really started really getting into what works for us. These are all just kind of we think this will mm-hmm. work for us. Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm happy having this session focus entirely on pre-work and like the kind yeah, of that's, that's all that exists so far so that's yeah <laughs> yeah no that's that's really excellent um did you find hmm, i'm trying to think of where where to go with the session if yeah absolutely else. have you had any experiences with metamors yet um actually that i can tie a lot into that question because um i see question three is also where where i started with relationships in general sure. and i can talk a little bit about the 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 first long term relationship in which I did everything possible incorrectly or okay. made I made all the mistakes possible. Sure. Um, within that relationship, actually, at one point, we did I say we um, we did attempt an open relationship. Um, okay. And within that open relationship, I do have minimal experience with a metamor, but there are so many asterisks all over that statement because the the reason I agreed to have an open relationship was because I was worried that they were going to oh, kind geez. of do things regardless and I figured it oh, might no. as well it might be better for me if I just like agreed it was a thing we were both doing I'm so sorry uh, and in retrospect um, I never actually took action to date anybody else outside of the marriage um, while this was happening I mean and that can be okay like non- oh, yeah, non- non-monogamy doesn't have to oh, be absolutely. symmetrical it doesn't have to be symmetrical but I'm thinking of my, my particular situation in which right. I had no genuine interest in it but I thought this might be easier if I just said yeah sure go ahead right uh, and within that, I also did something that I don't want to do this time around. And I said, okay, you can do it. Just don't, don't, don't tell me about it. Just, oh. I don't want to know about it. <laughs> like, just the, go off and that's fine. And just like, just don't tell me anything. The and don't ask, don't tell is such a Band-Aid. It is. And yeah, it kind of ties back into informed consent. And it, like, yeah, and I, it's <clears> not something I would ever do again. And I want to be fully informed and like I, right. I'm all on this to be an us activities and around. it also I think comes a lot from mainstream monogamous culture where there are scripts where you assume that a person is going to behave in one way so you already feel there like were you so are many informed. assumptions tied into that oh my goodness yeah. like I was I was quite young at the time well not I was quite young for me at the time as well <laughs> seeing how far I've come since then um and also the the best part of this all is that in addition to telling my partner I didn't want to know anything, I then also followed the journal of the person that he was oh, <laughs> making no. that connection with. Um, so I, I never got any information firsthand from my partner, but I did get a lot of detail by reading about it online. Oh, so <laughs> no. Yeah, so that was real. That was a real good move because that's how I found out that they had had sex for the first time, when I hadn't even been aware that they were seeing each other around that time period. Um, which was oh, it was a good feeling. It was a real great feeling. It was yeah. <laughs> um, and at that point, I freaked out um, and you know then asked my partner like, "Oh, did you 
did you both, you know, did you have sex? And that, oh, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, gave me uh, no additional information. your partner was, like, transparent about it. That's nice. Yeah, oh, yeah, like, they, he didn't try to lie. I mean, it was, it was written, it was written down and everything. And I, I, we also, we were both friends with the person that he was seeing. Okay. Um, but then I, I said, you know, okay, this is, this is too much for me. Can mm-hmm. you please just shut it down? Just right. like, and I thought I did the veto thing. And I said, like, yep. please stop it. Right. But then after that fact, I was never quite sure if they had actually shut it down or just, like, made me believe that there were a lot of trust issues tied into the whole thing, right, obviously, right. as well. Um, that sounds so that, like a really <laughs> awful experience. It was really bad. It was, um, it was on the one hand, um, the silver lining was it gave me a great baseline for a bunch of ways I never want to feel again and a bunch of things I never want to do in that way again. Because it absolutely ruined my relationship with, with her, with somebody who could have been my metamor if we had done this properly. Yeah. With a, lo- a lovely person who was she, was, she was great. I had nothing against her personally. It was just this setup that I was right. not okay with. It was like set up to fail almost. Oh, it absolutely was because it was, it was based in distrust. Right. So obviously all it bred was more distrust. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it kind of you know, rotten from the ground up. Um, but gave me, like I was saying, a lot of a lot of things that I know I want to do better this time. Mm-hmm. But I'm not I'm not going to recommend people go out and just like absolutely blow up a relationship. But I mean, you know, if you can learn from those mistakes, then do. But and that's useful. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the struggle that we go through is useful. Yes, absolutely. And that that is one thing to be said for struggling is that mm-hmm. you you learn a lot more by failing at something than you do as it by succeeding. That's true. Like I've seen that on coffee mugs or something, <laughs> <laughs> t shirts or whatever. I like it. Yeah. T shirts and coffee mugs. Yeah. So that that was my kind of my one my one metamor experience was mm-hmm. in that that disastrous kind of situation. But I'm hoping uh, in this new situation that we're crafting a lot more conscientiously. Mm-hmm. to have positive metamor metamorships. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the term for metamorships? Yeah, yeah, I would say metamorship. Okay, great. Um, like, or you can say relationship with a metamor. Okay, yeah, to have, to have more positive relationships with, with metamors, um, partially because we have all these amazing role models who we have as friends who are having successful, successful polyamory relationships Yay. and who are speaking to us about the value of metamorships or at the very least about meeting the person that you, your partner, who is your partner's partner. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Sometimes I've met metamors and been like, my partner has the best decision making. <laughs> like, I kind of want them to go out and just fuck all the people <laughs> so that I can have all of these amazing friends. <laughs> because I know that they like make better decisions. Send them about, out into like, the world and come back with a new friend. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'm like, go whore yourself out so I can have friends. But I mean, you know, obviously not. <laughs> I like that way. I like that way of putting it. Just like... Just like fishing for friends via <laughs> via the partner. Honestly, it's 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 really good, and not just friends, but even potentially lovers. Like, there's something mm. about polycules where people. Oh, that's honestly kind of my dream is to be part of a, 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 a like a poly family. Yeah, and I, I'm saying that again from a position where like I've never been part of one. I've only seen them from the outside, but oh god, it sounds nice. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so I've been doing the most amazing teasers for new episodes. I've been doing the most amazing work networking with people that do intentional living, which Mm -hmm. is like they craft a housing environment using like a set. And this is going to sound familiar of values for the home. Okay. And then the people that come into that space contribute or agree to essentially like a charter of living in Mm -hmm. that space. So you don't have the, you know how you have room, like a lot of people experience roommate issues of like, oh, my roommate doesn't clean up after themselves or my roommate is disrespectful in these ways. Most of that is, I think, I mean, sometimes inconsiderate people, but also just having the wrong fit. Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, let's yep. put all the slovenly people in their own house, and they'll be very, I'll have very to happy. About that. Yeah, <laughs> I love how you're like, I'm like, you're like suffer. Yeah, oh, I, mean, I just like, I'm, as a person who's very sensitive to noise, I have constantly had kind of fantasies of like, what if the city just divided up neighborhoods by how much noise people make? Sure, <laughs> that would be real, real good. I sleep with earplugs. Yeah, I, I've, I've been doing that as well. Um, I actually got these things called sleep buds from really? Bose. Um, they were, oh God, Are I, they I, good? Don't, I don't know whether or not to recommend them because they're oh. they're as comfortable as as earplugs can be. Um, right. I mean, and even then, they're not as comfortable as just like the foam ones because they do have to include wiring. Like they're very right. they're very small. They kind of hook within the ear. Oh, they do wiring because they do active noise cancellation, I guess. No, uh, sorry, not wiring. But I mean, like there's electronics within them. Oh, um, so that they, they are like a hard, a hard surface. Because what do they do? They um, they are preloaded like via Bluetooth noise? with several different white noises. Oh, um, so they've got like a, like one that sounds like an airplane, one that sounds like a fan, one that sounds like um, a, a waterfall, and they've got nine or ten of them in all. That's super you, cool. You can't put your own music on them. They are specifically designed to be used with an app that connects to your phone. Um, they fit entirely in ear, but I find they kind of press on my ear because I'm a side sleeper. Oh, that's th- that's ruthless. I totally get it. It's 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 difficult, but on the upside, um, even though I don't use them very often, they're kind of my fail safe now. Like if yeah. there is that kind of one in a blue moon thing where the neighbor's watching a movie or something, and you're or like, they're I'm the neighbors down the street are yeah, if there's something literally where I know that in other situations I would not be able to sleep, Halloween. I can have a slightly less comfortable sleep with these things in. Right. Then like I think I've only used them five or six times and for the amount of a cost I feel ugh. but at the same time I'm thinking about not having them and the idea of not having them stresses me out so it's, they're kind of like just, there's like a blanket now <laughs> this this is reminiscent of all the other things we've talked about with perfectionism where it's like I, having, I mean, yeah. having these systems that ugh. reduce anxiety yeah. are a, a way to avoid dealing with the anxiety absolutely and a, a lot of it is and that's something I think I'm learning as well is I, I can't have the perfect situation right. in anything, in my home life, in my relationship, in um, right. in in anything, but can at least set up fail-safes that I know are going to help me feel better about my situation. Yeah. I've been yeah. trying to fall in love with the work. It's really hard. But I've been trying to fall in love with the work of, like, this is a struggle, and mm-hmm. struggle is what life is made of. And there yeah. is... There is a pleasure in getting slightly better even if I'm never going to be perfect and my situation's never mm-hmm. going to be good I can still enjoy the process of making things better what's well, the the AFOG isn't it like another, another fucking opportunity, opportunity for, for growth. growth yeah I really I really like that a lot because it takes kind of like oh god I have to do what into like right. okay I guess I'm learning again mm-hmm. um, yeah. how, how are we doing for we've been going we're doing, for a while we're doing yeah. we're doing great on time okay cool um, so how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or go straight to the Patreon group at patreon.com slash victorsalmon. Both are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com, so what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Attribution. The intro music was Unbury Your Heart by Siobhan Decay, and the outro music was Dancing with Fire by Daniel Birch. Disclaimer. I apologize in advance if something I say discriminates against some folks or is highly problematic. I'm open to being called in. I'll probably look back in future and see something I'm not proud of. I'm not perfect. I'm certainly trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. And along that line, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the land on which I live and play, the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories, specifically those of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, 